We're now getting into, you know, you mentioned the importance of customer experience, you know, really understanding how we can leverage AI like GPT-4 and what that can do and, you know, helping us to write different user stories and user requirements is something that we're, we're playing around with. And, you know, certainly part of that customer experience is providing excellent customer service. And so over the last week, we announced a partnership with Microsoft. Welcome to episode 72 of Clicks to Bricks, the podcast about multi-location marketing. I'm your host, Rob Reed. My guest today is Jill Cress, and she is the chief marketing officer for H&R Block. Jill spent more than 20 years of her career with MasterCard before taking her first CMO role with National Geographic, which was followed by PayPal. With H&R Block, this is Jill's first multi-location marketing role, and she has 10,000 locations to manage. We talk about this new challenge of driving foot traffic and the importance of optimizing for tax prep near me searches. We also learn about a recent partnership with Microsoft to integrate ChatGPT and generative AI to her marketing mix. Jill Cress, welcome to Clicks to Bricks. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So first off, where does this podcast find you? This podcast finds me in Rye, New York, just outside of New York City. Ah, nice. Is that Westchester? Westchester County. That's exactly right. Nice. Yeah. But that's not the H&R Block headquarters, though, I take it. That's correct. H&R Block is headquartered in lovely Kansas City. <laughs> nice. Kansas so- City, Missouri. Yes. Yes, of course. The (laughs) primary Kansas City. Exactly. So I take it you're working remote. Yes, I am working remote. We are hybrid at H&R Block. And I think one of the nice things that has happened post-COVID is it allows people like me to have an impact at an amazing place like H&R Block without having to move there. But I spend an awful lot of time in Kansas City, which I quite enjoy. Nice. It seemed like it was for you know, regular employees, the remote work thing was very common, but I'm seeing it now more with senior executives and CMOs. It's like, we can all make it work, right? That's right. About 50% of our executive leadership team is remote in remote roles. It's a massive HR transformation that we've undergone. It's, It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Under a real sense of necessity, I think we were able to accelerate the approach to hybrid working in a pretty productive way. Yeah. And it just makes talent, you know, much more fluid, you know, because you probably before wouldn't have wanted to move to Kansas City as nice as it is, probably would not have been an option. Yeah. It's challenging, you know, with, you know, being a part of a family where your family members have other commitments. So absolutely. And it's really allowed me in my role to recruit excellent talent from different places who are, you know, bringing some outside in thinking and real impact to the work that we're doing at H&R Block, as well as, you know, recruiting locally. It's been really nice. You know, we have a really nice balance of talent within Kansas City and across the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a fan. I was kind of remote working before COVID and which is what enabled me to move from Los Angeles to Park City. I'm a huge fan of remote work, even pre-COVID. I was uh, maybe uh, a little bit ahead of the curve there. You're trailblazing. Yeah, exactly. First question, though, that we always ask is a fun fact about Jill Crest that most might not know. 
So I started dating my husband on an overseas program in the Netherlands in a charming town in the south of the Netherlands called Maastricht or Maastricht as the locals would call it. He's an American. We were in the same program. But the fun fact that comes from that is we named our daughter Beatrix after the former queen of the Netherlands. And Beatrix now goes by Trixie. (laughs) I love that. Wow, what a nice story. I thought the X was the really important part of the name to retain. So I was that mom who, you know, when she was starting kindergarten, would say to her, don't let people call you B. Your name is Beatrix. Ah, yes. Yeah, because because it's got a great story behind it and some tremendous meaning. You don't want to lose that. Exactly. by, Exactly. By kind of casually shortening it. So now we've shortened it with intention with the X at the end. <laughs> exactly. Nice. So let's jump into the marketing part of this. You have some interesting challenges that I want to get into with H&R Block. It's very, obviously, a very seasonal business and product that you sell. But let's start out more kind of high level and maybe summarize the state of marketing today from where you sit. Like we've been talking about, you know, we had the pandemic that we just came through. Now we're remote working. We're dealing with some uncertain economic times right now, which, you know, actually seem to be maybe turning a corner. Got a generational shift from millennials to Generation Z. So with all this that's happened, what would you say a marketer's true north is after all of this? All of that is really top of mind. And I think the headline there is real clarity on understanding your audience. And for us, that's who's our existing user and who's the audience that we need to win with for the future? Yeah, because you don't want to get old with your audience. That's like kiss of death, basically, for a brand and a business, right? Absolutely. And so I think, as you referenced, a deep understanding of Gen Z and their expectations of us, their expectations of brands broadly, their understanding of finances and what that means for tax are very top of mind, and they are an audience that we care deeply about. So as of today, as of 2023, how would you describe your current target? Well, the interesting thing is we've got a huge addressable audience, right? So you look at total addressable market, and there are roughly 150 million Americans that are required to pay taxes every year. Our segmentation has been a little bit taxi. So we think about our audience through the lens of how they want to experience that moment. And so, you know, there's a significant portion of Americans who really want expertise and help that comes with a tax pro. Our purpose is to provide help and inspire confidence around the tax moment, which is complex and intimidating. But For most Americans, it's the most financially rewarding financial moment of the year for them. And so, you know, getting it right is really important. And so to that end, looking someone in the eye and being able to trust that they're coming at it with the human expertise and care that they want is really, really important. And so that's a large percentage of the audience that we serve, people who want that expertise and care in person. Now, what we're doing is understanding who are they. You certainly don't, you know, rock up at a cocktail party and say, you know, hey, I'm a complex tax filer. 
I'm looking for expertise and care. So really understanding, you know, who are they? What is their life stage? Life stage is a big part of how we think about our audiences because with changes in life stage comes a change in your tax needs and status and and things like that. So that's the first type of audience, which is, you know, those who want that expertise and care either by meeting someone face-to-face or by doing it virtually with an expert. And then we have a whole cohort of existing clients and new user growth that comes from consumers who feel they can do it themselves. They feel like no one's going to take their tax return as serious as they do. And so they want to use an online tool and we've got that solution as well. And we bring all of the 70 years of tax experience and hundreds of millions of returns, you know, using big data to make those tools really efficient. And that's, you know, been a big area of focus for our growth last year, specifically with Gen Z, who are embracing those types of of experiences. Is there a certain audience profile that you find is your kind of lowest hanging fruit that is just like perfectly ready for a tax professional and the and the experience that H&R Block provides? There's not really one perfect segment, again, because there's so many consumers and small businesses that we serve as well that are part of that total addressable market. But, you know, certainly our primary focus is middle America, and I don't necessarily mean that geographically, but, you know, middle income America who really need to maximize every credit and deduction to ensure that they get that maximum refund so that they are really fully capitalizing on the significance of that moment. And so, you know, you think of teachers and, you know, those who are in, you know, doing the work of, you know, civil service broadly, that's a big part of of who we market to. We've had a huge focus in the last few years on those who are embracing the gig economy, which is, of course, core to, in many cases, how Gen Z are architecting the financial freedom that they want and how they want to work in the world. But it expands beyond Gen Z. And so last year, from a customer experience and product standpoint, we worked really hard to have addressable audiences specific to those in the gig economy and bring them into a unique experience, you know, which led with the the need states that they have. And then small businesses, we do really well with small businesses who are just starting, truly smaller businesses. So we're actually knee deep in a segmentation, which will significantly inform our go-to-market plans for the next tax season. So with the gig economy, that's mostly like 1099 income, right? Like Correct. Yes, right. that's yeah, right. Yeah, which I think is a lot of opportunity for tax professionals to, you know, really maximize when that's your type of income. Absolutely. And what's interesting is once you have a 1099, you have to file a schedule C. So, you know, it's interesting because you're now technically a small business, yet these consumers don't really feel like they're a small business, right? They feel like, you know, they're they're stringing together an income based on, you know, flexibility. They're augmenting it in different ways. And it's just fascinating as we dig into what is the gig economy. You know, we often think of it through the lens of rideshare, but, you know, you think of it through what happens in home share, professional services, platforms that are out there where people can can contract things along those lines. There's car sharing, there's, you know, wag walkers. There are so many different types of workers that 
are embracing what's possible through this kind of work. And so really understanding that and getting beyond just traditional rideshare. You know, there are people who, you know, sell things on, you know, different platforms and take goods and services across platforms like Venmo and PayPal, which I'm deeply familiar with. So, so, you know, it's a very multifaceted reality economy and opportunity because this audience is learning what it means to augment or create your income through these kinds of jobs. And our role is to, again, provide help and inspire confidence in what can be complex. Absolutely. And I do appreciate taking the time to talk about your segmentation because I think for H&R Block in particular, people don't necessarily know you know, who the H&R Block customer is. I mean, if I'm talking to the CMO of Chipotle, you know, they have a pretty good sense. I mean, they're a customer of Chipotle, most likely, or at least a target. But with H&R, it's a little different. So I think it's going to be helpful for the rest of the conversation to understand, you know, who you're going after as we talk about how you actually go after them. I want to also, though, take a step back and talk a little bit about your career history. So you've had a, a few different roles leading up to H&R Block. You had MasterCard, uh, National Geographic, and PayPal. So you had finance, media, and fintech, respectively. And now, of course, you're, you're back into finance. But with those three, was there a, a common thread across those three roles? Yeah, there are a couple of elements that converge into what makes me so excited about this opportunity. I spent the good majority of my career and life to date at MasterCard. I was there for the good part of 20 years. It was a really interesting backdrop to grow both as a human and as an executive. Another fun fact, when I started at MasterCard some close to 30 years ago now, it was a not-for-profit association. It became for-profit. It had its IPO and then became the tech and data company that it is known to be, as well as a company that is deeply committed to its purpose and really was a pioneer in ESG. So it was a company that really, you know, did the things that we talk about, you know, doing good by doing well in the world. It built a really iconic brand platform through Priceless and was, you know, a financial services company that served lots of different stakeholders from small businesses to large enterprise to small businesses. I left MasterCard to go to National Geographic. It was my first chief marketing officer role. And that was a really exciting opportunity to be a part of transformation at scale. I joined a company that was called National Geographic Partners. It was a joint venture between 21st Century Fox and the original National Geographic Society. That's a whole nother interesting observation, this like lovely collision of purpose meets profit. And it was exciting. You know, there was a big investment in taking our content and bringing it into the digital era. It's where I learned a lot about platform specificity and taking long form content and creating, you know, engaging snackable content across lots of different platforms. We experimented a ton on on Snap at the time. We were one of the first brands to lean into stories on Instagram. When I joined, it was the most followed brand on Instagram. And over the course of my my tenure there, success has many fathers, so it was many of us working towards 
Instagram and our audience there. But when I left, we were at 125 million followers and it continues to grow. We did a lot to optimize for that, but it was really interesting for us to say, well, gosh, you know, this is a platform that's all about photography. We have the best photographers in the world. How do we really bring our content to those audiences in new and exciting ways? And then we started to work to leverage that audience with partners. We used to say we can host a Super Bowl every day on our Instagram channel. So anyway, lots of focus on transformation. For me, as a marketer, it was interesting to be in that role where I was both continuing to buy media and engage audiences across our digital platforms, but also across our linear television platform, where we would then work to monetize those eyeballs by you know, selling media and creating really meaningful partnerships. So as a marketer, I learned a lot about the things I talked about, digital transformation, platform specificity, content, the role of content and driving engagement, kind of the two-sided element of media. Ultimately, I was drawn back to financial services. The thing that I care deeply about and understand is people's relationship with money and finances. When I was at MasterCard, I had lots of global roles, and I found that really fascinating. And so the opportunity to go to PayPal and lead consumer marketing across most of the globe for them was a really exciting opportunity and to really work properly in fintech and to work at that kind of scale. When I left PayPal, we had, I think, close to 400 million consumer relationships around the world. And so, you know, working to understand growth marketing at that scale, the opportunity to really do an important job for consumers and capture the demand that was out there, particularly during COVID, when the only way that we could shop was online, was incredibly fast-paced and rewarding. I had Venmo as part of my marketing portfolio, and so really understanding Gen Z and the evolution of that brand as their original customers became millennials (laughs) was certainly something that was interesting. And so with that, I go back to your question, which is, I was really excited to be a part of what's happening at H&R Block and bring kind of the culmination of all of those experiences to bear to understand brand and and brand purpose, which was relevant at all of the former places that I worked at, to understand the power of a brand platform that we had through Priceless at MasterCard and how we, we were able to think about that through more engaged customer experience and the work that we did to build out Priceless.com, which was a marketplace of experiences, really understanding that the importance of driving engagement with a brand platform, transformation that took place at National Geographic, and driving growth at scale through PayPal are really all of the things that are happening at H&R Block under the tremendous and inspiring leadership of our CEO, Jeff Jones, who fortuitously for me, is a former chief marketing and experience officer himself. Jeff was at Target for many years, classically trained at Leo Burnett, Coca-Cola, The Gap. And so I feel fortunate to have a seat at the table to represent the voice of the customer with a CEO who truly appreciates customer centricity, is a true expert in customer experience, in really ensuring that we are embracing design-led thinking that we are pushing ourselves to create best-in-class digital 
products and that we do world-class marketing that, you know, both creates demand in a very short window where we have to drive growth and that we have the tools and, and data and partnerships to, to capture demand to continue to grow and finally to bring our purpose to life. And we can talk a little bit about how we're doing that. I had actually forgotten about the priceless campaign. That was brilliant. And the brilliance, funny enough, lent itself to, I mean, what have to have been like some of the first memes, right? I mean, there was so many different like, you know, takes on the whole priceless campaign, like, you know, like funny, kind of absurd versions of that. It was like so long ago before, I think before we even called them memes, right? I think you're right. Actually, lots of static spoofs on that first format, which was price, 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 and then the priceless payoff, the things that that money can't buy. And yes, I remember receiving lots of those. And they were memes before they were memes, indeed. Memes before they were memes. Yeah, that's pioneering work for sure. <laughs> also, a little fun fact, I was a journalist, an adventure travel journalist in a previous life and wrote for National Geographic Adventure for a while. So I was a, I was a contributor there. So I have a little bit of experience with the brand. No longer in print, I'm sure, but it was a good run. Still in print. So, you know, smaller and smaller audience, but they have done a tremendous job at bringing their, you know, we talked about audience bringing their, you know, median subscriber age down. I was really proud of the work that started along those lines when I was there. And, you know, they have a huge push into digital subscriptions, which is, you know, positioning them with Gen Z in new ways. You know, to your point about being a, a journalist and focusing on adventure, our target at National Geographic was the explorer inside of all of us, that you didn't need to climb mountains to be an explorer. And so I think, you know, the content that you would have been familiar with and created was to really tap into that mindset of what it means to embrace your inner curiosity and tap into that inner explorer that many of us have. Yeah, the, the proverbial weekend warrior. Yeah, that was always our <laughs> who we were writing for. Now with HR Block, how would you say that the marketing challenge for this brand is similar or maybe different from those past roles? Like, because you've been here now for just over a year. So maybe like talk about those challenges and maybe, you know, what the mandate was when you arrived. Well, this is my first experience in true retail. I've certainly, you know, both at PayPal and MasterCard partnered very closely and ran co-marketing teams where we promoted retail. I certainly understood seasonality. I can remember my boss, Jeff Jones, the CEO, saying retail's got nothing on tax season. And boy, just surviving my first tax season, was he right? It is very intense. We have, you know, 105 days to deliver 80% of our revenue. Going back to retail, that informs a little bit of the challenge and opportunity that we have. So H&R Block in tax season has 10,000 locations across the US. That's a huge retailer. Yeah. It's a huge retailer. Walmart has 4,500 store locations. It's one of the biggest for sure, numbers wise. Yeah. And there is a unverified fact, but at one point in time, we were able to validate that there was an H&R Block location within five miles of every American. And so, you know, again, going back to who we serve for those Americans, consumers and small businesses that are seeking out human expertise and care, we are there in neighborhoods across the U.S. So we lean into that and retail is a, 
very important part of our strategy, but we're also working to bring more digital experiences to that audience through virtual solutions, uploading your documents in advance, things that will help to provide the best end result more efficiently for our clients, providing the right set of digital tools for our tax pros. We have close to 70 million of them in season. The role of what we have to do to you know, create tools and make that a very efficient process. For those customers, the relationship with the H&R Block brand is as much about that one-to-one relationship with the person that they trust. And oh my goodness, we have like such lovely stories about the longevity of those relationships and clients who bring tax pros gifts because they've just had a baby. You have tax pros who know that a client is coming in with a young kid and they'll bring a coloring book or, or something like that. So it's just this very intimate relationship. But more and more, we need to and are working to build on what are an incredible set of digital experiences. So the work that we do to provide self-file experiences, do-it-yourself experiences through .com, understanding those audiences, building apps that help to facilitate that experience. And so we really have to straddle a lot with how our brand goes to market to reinforce the things that we cherish in our brand, which is that that retail network and that human relationship while we continue to evolve and transform and provide more digital solutions, whether they want that in-person care or they want to do things on their own. And so that's a lot. And it is more than filing your tax return. It's about the experience of getting there. And it's about inspiring that, that confidence that we are the best way to get you that maximum refund guaranteed. I mean, with that kind of retail footprint and your career history, kind of uh, like driving foot traffic and things like footfall and, you know, door swings and, you know, all these things that that retail marketers have to do, that seems like kind of a, a first maybe for you. Is it kind of the thinking around some of the marketing and the KPIs? It is, absolutely. And, you know, just the challenges that come with that from a data standpoint, we're spending lots and lots of media dollars to drive traffic to book appointments and marrying, you know, the online data with the offline data, you know, who's showing up, what is their experience, what is their satisfaction, and really understanding the end-to-end experience from coming to our site to booking to going into an office and, you know, ending the relationship for one year while we kick off what that means to continue to nurture you to come back for the next year is a big part of what we're doing. And lots of local activation, which is, you know, something that's I've done, but not at the level of using it to drive performance. And as you said, what was the reference you made to doors? Getting <laughs> Door swings. Door yeah. swings. These Door are like swings. retail terms. Yeah, classic retail terms. I want to talk about local. Let's talk about digital first, because I mean, for a lot of brands these days, like their digital strategy is actually their strategy. No longer, you know, why even have digital there? It's like, that's what the strategy is. Where do you kind of fall on that, on that spectrum with the H&R Block brand? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we struggle because of that and how we position it. We'll talk about, well, we're online and we're in store. Well, every brand has to be online now, right? And so online is not the only way where we can talk about the thing that we do, the taxes that we file online, how we show up online, where we meet you, 
across your digital journey in season and off, the importance of getting our data right, the importance of our tech stack to be able to deliver the best possible experience is a huge part of of our strategy for sure. But at the same time, with like the footprint that you have, and if you're within five miles of every American, then national media must be pretty efficient, actually, for this type of brand. It certainly is, yes. And so we invest heavily in upper funnel content. We have shifted over the last year from you know, some of our linear spend into more targeted platforms where we can meet our audiences through, the, you know, various connected TV and other platforms. But yes, we do quite a lot of mass media to foster that 90 plus percent awareness and consideration rate that we have for, for that part of our business while we continue to work on driving more awareness and consideration of how you can use our online tools to get that same great experience. Let's talk a little bit about local, because also you've got a hybrid of corporate-owned and franchise as well, right? That's correct. So are the franchisees, let's start there, are the franchisees obligated to spend locally and and do you empower them to actually do some of their own marketing? Or are they like, nope, you guys are the experts, you guys do all the marketing, we're just here to you know deliver the service? Yeah, just for context, about 90% of our offices are corporate-owned. And then we have about 10%, which are franchises. And of course, they rely on our national advertising and all of the marketing that we do, but they do their own local advertising and really have a sense of what works in the communities where they are. And they have an investment fund that allows them to to do that. We work on field marketing toolkits and guidelines and things along those lines. So depending on where in the U.S. you are, you might hear radio advertising or see H&R Block showing up locally through some of that. And we we also have some of that flexibility within our corporate offices as well. But with 90% of our offices being corporate, I have learned more about the importance of Google Local and other ways of ensuring that we're capturing demand in season than I ever knew was possible. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, what would the search be? I guess tax preparer near me. Tax or prep near me. Tax yeah. prep near me. That's the one you want. You need to be in the top three there, right? For 10,000 locations. That's a that's a huge undertaking. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, ensuring that we can talk about, you know, we're here for you. Our offices are, are open. I actually happen to be in New York City on April 18th this year. We were seeing a play. And I said to my husband, like, let's just zip by the H&R Block office outside of Times Square. It was fascinating to see the people that were there trying to get in. You know, they had shoe boxes and plastic bags full of all sorts of paper <laughs> trying to, to get served at the, at the last minute. But yes, that local advertising, you know, the fact that we have ensuring that it highlights that our tax pros are there, that we have capacity, that our offices are open really ensuring that you know we're capturing that demand locally was a huge area of optimization and there were some things that had changed with Google over the course of covid that we were navigating but it is really important in how we attract new clients i mean like for a brand like yours i've often found that like local to the cmo means like a dma 
right? Uh-huh. right? Yeah, that's that's right. local, right? Like when you have 10,000 locations. Do you think about it at a smaller level of granularity? Oh, absolutely. You know, through what we do locally in thinking about Google Local, it really allows us to do what we need to do, which is to have hyper-local awareness. So each of our local offices has its own unique dedicated page so that we can help those prospective clients know the office close to them. And we're now working to ensure that we can, once we capture demand there, that we can introduce some of those virtual solutions so we can give them confirmation of an appointment as quickly as possible. But you know that there is a ton of local search that takes place. And that was, you know, again, a big area of learning and opportunity. And I just had a meeting today on how we're going to make sure we continue to (laughs) do better and understand the importance of that platform. But as I said, you know, ensuring that they're localized, that we have clarity on availability of appointments that are available, and really promoting all of the services that we offer, particularly as we continue to augment into providing solutions for small businesses. Yeah, that's got to be a pretty interesting customer journey, I would have to say, from you know, kind of the tax prep near me. There's so much that goes on, obviously, before a consumer gets to that, like, okay, I need a tax preparer. You know, they've already done research. And the thing is, they just don't search for H&R Block near me. They don't search for Starbucks near me. They search for coffee near me. That's just kind of how we've all been trained. Yeah, I'm sure that there's so much that goes into that because this is a very considered purchase compared to coffee. Any thoughts on, on that journey? We are probably more fortunate than other brands in that there is some some branded query that comes through, especially if you have worked with H&R Block in the past. But again, I think, you know, the disproportionate amount of search is non-branded for sure. And so I think really understanding the power of local marketing and you know working with partners that can help to power that outside of Google and ensuring that you're really getting that right information published, that you're clear on the services that you offer, that things are up to date, you know, with one of the things that have really been optimizing for post-tax season where we have extensions. There's still quite a lot of returns to be filed, particularly in California where there are extensions. And so, you know, that meant we had to ensure that, you know, every office was going in and updating their hours and, you know, really ensuring that we were getting that appointment availability out there. And so just understanding the nuances of what that means versus traditional search is if local's important to you, it's a whole nother level of learning. It certainly was for me. I think this is one area, I was saying that very complex customer journey. There's the middle part, which is the tax prep near me. And then they, you know, hit on your Google page and then they hit on your website. I think, you know, there's multiple different data sets that actually kind of need to be married to really understand that. And I think that perhaps this is one area where AI is going to help marketers really understand and optimize that customer journey. So, you know, my question there though is what does the AI conversation sound like internally right now at H&R Block when it comes to marketing? Are you guys implementing or is it, you know, kind of a, a learning phase right now? Where do you stand there? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say, you know, H&R Block with our 70 years of doing taxes is using AI and, you know, machine learning across so many things that we do from, you know, what we do in the way of chat, language, all of our, you know, 
customer segmentation and understanding the modeling, certainly of who we are targeting. From a marketing standpoint, we've been doing the things that help us drive better conversion. So things like dynamic creative certainly is something that we've been doing for a while across different customer segments. We certainly, as we execute digital advertising, ensuring that we're using AI to get to the right audience and the implications that that has specific to ad creative and creative optimization. We're now getting into, you know, you mentioned the importance of customer experience, you know, really understanding how we can leverage AI like GPT-4 and what that can do and, you know, helping us to write different user stories and user requirements is something that we're we're playing around with and you know certainly part of that customer experience is providing excellent customer service and so over the last week we announced a partnership with Microsoft and what they're doing with ChatGPT we are going to be one of 100 partners the only one in the tax category to be working with them and we really hope to be able to bring that customized, personalized experience through our do-it-yourself experience to bear at scale with more confidence. So it's touching all elements of our business, and we're going to continue to test into what that means for marketing in the way of content, what we write, what we say, what the content looks like, and keep learning. You know, I think you've probably heard this before. You know, I think that the opportunity for us as marketers is to make sure we know as much about AI so that we can leverage it to our benefit. I guess the thing that I was going to say you've heard before is, you know, AI is not going to put put people out of business, but it will if you don't understand. Uh, sorry, well, not, I'm butchering the quote. It's not going to replace CMOs, but it's going to replace CMOs who don't use AI. That's right. It's exactly it. It's not going to replace CMOs, executives and marketers, but it will replace those who don't know how to use it. I mean, that Microsoft partnership is very exciting. When will that go live? We just announced it last week. And we are really excited about the ability that we have to really summarize so much of the content that we have to accelerate the way that we can provide solutions next season, next tax season, particularly to answer questions, to provide customer service. And so you will see that coming next year. All right. We're going to have to follow up next year to see how that went. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting because, you know, it'll give us, you know, more speed, greater consistency, and certainly at a more efficient cost as we continue to try and delight more consumers. That certainly answers my uh, kind of new initiative question. So we can actually jump into some career advice. So what is like the mentorship, you know, and mentoring within the H&R Block marketing organization look like today? Maybe like start there. Yeah, we have lots of informal and formal mentoring that plays out. We invest in coaches for our top talent so that they have a safe place to really work on their development. And through that, we encourage formal mentorship as part of that development that happens with a coach and a mentor. It is a Midwestern company, and it is a very supportive culture. You know, it's really, as I'm a native Chicagoan, I find it really refreshing to be back in an environment where people really are happy to take the time and, and chat. So anyway, we've got lots of different tools, informal, formal, and really structured programs to ensure that our talent continues to 
to grow. How are you speaking to like a young marketer today that's coming in into their first role and, and they have aspirations for one day being CMO? Like what is the advice you would be giving them today? The most important advice that I share and talk a lot about is how important it is to understand the business and to really understand the drivers of growth and what are our financial ambitions to deliver our business outcomes. I started my career in sales and I was a you know general manager in various different roles at MasterCard. And so I think one of the things that I bring to how I think about this role is a real partnership with the business and starting with the business outcomes in mind. I recently mentored one of our directors who was an expert in the media landscape and said, you really need to understand now the strategy and what it takes to build a go-to-market plan and the role of media within that. And he's just recently taken on a new go-to-market role because I think, you know, it is the CMO of the future has to both understand the business. You have to be both strategic and performative. And so being a generalist, I think, is important and wearing lots of different hats, including potentially moving out of, of marketing to get that experience and understand the business that you're in. I love that. A real world example of, of mentoring. That's, that's great. Any open roles on your team? We've got two really exciting director level roles that are live on LinkedIn or hnrblock.com forward slash careers. We have two open go to market segment strategist leads. So we've got a go to market lead specific to how we build our plans and execute our plans to win with small businesses. And then we've got one specific to how we grow our assisted business, you know, both virtual and in-store. And that mentoring conversation just moved into our third go-to-market lead role, which is our for our DIY business. But two great roles for leaders who want to build go-to-market strategies and work in an integrated way across the marketing, communications, and experience teams. And those could be remote? Absolutely. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah, those, those are definitely the most coveted roles right now I'm finding with folks. You tend to rise to the top when remote is an option. Nice. Well, you you, know, you heard it here. There's some great roles open at on Jill's team at H&R Block. Final question. Are there other leaders in multi-unit enterprise in particular that you admire and would want to see on the show? I recently met Craig Balmer, who is at American Eagle Apparel. And I've come across him twice in the last few weeks at various forums and his audience expertise, digital acumen and understanding customer experience and what they do on .com and building brands is something that I've really enjoyed in getting to know Craig. All right, Craig, you are up next. We'll be reaching out <laughs> as soon as we wrap this interview. So that's all I have today. Jill Cress, thank you so much for joining us on Clicks to Bricks. Thank you so much for having me. This was lovely. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it on LinkedIn and to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter at clickstobricks.fm for exclusive content and previews of upcoming shows. I'm your host, Rob Reed. And this is Clicks to Bricks, a podcast about multi-location marketing. <music>